Entrepreneur MBA podcast purpose is to help existing business owners grow their companies past the $10 million in revenue per year benchmark. Here is your host, Stephen Halastic. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Halastic, and I am co-founder and managing partner of Financing Solutions. Financing Solutions is a leading provider of lines of credit to small businesses and nonprofits. Our line of credit program is fast, easy, inexpensive, and costs nothing to set up, making it a great cash backup plan for your business. If you'd like to learn more about our line of credit program, please visit us at fscreditline.com. That's FS as in Financing Solutions, creditline.com. Or give us a call at 862-207-4118. Just remember the time to set up a line of credit is now before you have a problem. So that way, when you have an issue or you want to make an investment in your business or your organization, you have the line ready to go. Uh, And because it doesn't cost anything, it kind of makes a lot of sense or it doesn't cost anything until you actually use it. It makes a lot of sense to get it in, in, in advance. Today, I am very excited to be speaking with Mickey Vanderloo from, uh, no, it's Mikey, right? I'm sorry. No, Mickey. Mickey. Oh, Mickey. Like I said mouse. it right. Like mouse, yeah. <laughs> thank, thank you. From uh, Lakeview uh, Consulting. Uh, Mickey is the president of Lakeview Consulting, a team of five experienced grant professionals who have collectively obtained over $240 million in grant funding for nonprofit and for-profit clients. The Lakeview team provides research, writing, and consulting services to help those in the manufacturing technology communities grow and succeed. Mickey has over 15 years experience performing grant incentive consulting services for clients in the manufacturing and technology communities, including trade associations, college and universities, technical vocational programs, uh, manufacturing extension partnership centers, and for manufacturing and technology companies or for-profit manufacturing and technology companies. Her engineering and business degree, as well as over 25 years of experience in manufacturing, provide a sound technical foundation for her grant writing services. She has personally obtained over 60 million in grant funding for her clients. Uh, Mickey's published the book, The For-Profit Grant Writing Guide, in 2014 and is one of of less than 300 and is one there's one of the 350 grant professional certified writers in the United States. She has been a mentor and a coach and volunteers at local nonprofits. Mickey, welcome to today's Entrepreneur MBA podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. So I love learning about things. Uh, one of the reasons why I really enjoyed doing the podcast, of course, is I, I love learning about new things. Um, mm-hmm. And the fact that today's topic is uh, winning technology and manufacturing grants. And I know you and I were having a discussion uh, before we went live. Uh, you know, I actually do two podcasts, the Nonprofit MBA podcast, the Entrepreneur MBA podcast. And we were, you know, uh, kind of talking about which one this would be geared toward. Uh, but they're really, it really is geared toward both potentially nonprofits and uh, entrepreneurs as well, correct? Right. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So we'll probably you know, touch upon those both of those things today. But, um, you know, just the fact that there are it's 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 not a like an aha moment for me, but it is it's obvious that there that that uh, there are technology and manufacturing grants out there that the government or foundations want to give 
uh, it, do you ever 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 have an idea how much is out there to win? Well, it, it really varies, um, especially by um, political landscape. So um, before COVID, I would say it was fairly predictable. You had a lot of federal grants that kind of came out on a yearly basis. Um, since COVID, um, so federal grants basically follow national issues. Well, as we've seen, a lot of issues come out of COVID, come from the pandemic, supply chain issues, um, PPE manufacturing issues. Those types of issues that fall on a national scale typically result in some sort of grant program at the federal level. And so I'd say for the last year, year and a half, it's been a very unpredictable landscape on the federal side. And, and then again, on the state side. So just to give you an idea, Stephen, on um, manufacturing grants, for example, mostly happen at the state level. Uh, there's not a lot of federal, there are some federal grants that that for-profit entities can, can apply for. Um, one big one is in the Technology Center, the Small Business Innovation Research and Small Business Technology Transfer Funding, the SBIRSTTR program, which a lot of technology companies are familiar with. That's been a longstanding program. For-profit companies can apply for that. It's very heavy-duty research, um, so it's not for every for-profit company, but that's always been out there. But for the most part, manufacturing grants happen at state levels. And as the CARES Act money flowed down from the federal to the state levels, what I saw was very similar to what happened in 2008, 2009 with the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act. Uh, at that time, the federal government created a pot of money. That pot of money was was sent to each of the states and they were told, okay, do what you want with this. As long as it as long as it helps the economy recover, that was the only kind of contingency under that. The exact same thing happened with the CARES Act funding. Federal government sent money to the states. Each state had a lot of leeway as to what they wanted to do with it. So in some states, you saw that they created very large um, PPE manufacturing grants. One state, one such state was uh, Kansas. And now this is not a grant they'd ever offered before, but that's this is what they decided to do with their CARES Act money. So in Kansas, they created two different manufacturing programs. One uh, was for manufacturers that wanted to produce PPE. The other one was for uh, manufacturers that were experiencing severe supply chain interruptions and they wanted to reshore some of their manufacturing. So one thing I helped a company uh, in Kansas get, I got them over, I helped them get over $4 million in funding for new two new manufacturing lines, one under each program, because they happen to produce um, sanitizing agents and soaps and things that were considered PPE. Um, in addition, they were seeing severe uh, supply chain restrictions on their plastic bottles and their the, the containers that held the liquid soap and the sanitizers. So... Hmm. Those were completely unexpected sources of funding. And so it's really changed a lot since COVID. And, and I can even tell you that day to day, week by week, there are still new programs coming down from the states as they've gotten that second round of CARES Act funding, more new programs from the states. Some are uh, funding things like broadband. Um, some, some are funding uh, activities like, again, PPE manufacturing, reshoring, um, anything that has to do with manufacturing competitiveness. Again, though, it varies state by state. So I've never really been able to predict accurately that this grant will be here on this day at this time. But 
up until this year was fairly predictable. Now I'd say it's completely unpredictable. There was, uh, I think within the last couple of months, and I don't think it was part of the CARES Act, there was a bill that was put forward to um, for manufacturing in the United mm-hmm. States. I don't know if it passed. Um, I didn't think it was part of the CARES Act, um, but it just seems like the environment is kind of uh, the political environment right now is uh, pro manufacturing in the United States because of uh, you know the the the, P- the uh, PPE issues, the uh, reliance on China issues, uh, jobs, you know all those things. Is that an accurate? Uh, I know you said you can't predict, but it doesn't mm-hmm. it feel like the the you know as dysfunctional as we've been recently in the last couple of years that it, that uh, they seem to be moving toward a direction of providing more funding. Yes, it would certainly seem that way. Um, the, the one that I believe you're talking about was the executive order. Uh, President uh, yes. Biden, right after he came into office did the made in America executive order. Um, and that actually has flowed down to several committee type activities one of which in this past week, I believe, was the supply chain, uh, the supply chain committee's findings, the supply chain task force, I guess it was a task force, their findings. And, and it was very much um, it was very much indicative of the role of, of electronics manufacturers, uh, semiconductor manufacturers, you know, uh, PPE manufacturers, medical uh, medical manufacturers, pharmaceutical manufacturers. This task force found that there are there are several industries within American manufacturing that are very impactful to the companies to the country's ability to weather another pandemic, and that's really what they were tasked with. Now that that activity is likely to lead to actual bills that would provide funding. That was their recommendation was to provide funding to support these industries and help them grow and become more resilient and help them uh, expand greatly their production capacity. Because uh, the fact is nobody wants to go into another pandemic and have to be getting masks from China or, you know, um, syringes from China. So there, I do believe that's going to come that the issue with federal funding and, and state funding to a large extent is that takes time. You know, it, 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 the bill has to be formulated. It has to it has to be in committee. Then it has to be uh, sent to the the Senate and the House for approval. Then the president has to approve it. And I would I would be very surprised if actual funding opportunities came out from that before winter of this year. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, it just takes a lot of time. I, I get yeah. a, and you know it's funny. I get a lot of uh, especially more technology companies that will email me and they'll say, Hey, we saw that this. This committee just came out with this, you know, where's the, where's the money that's attached to this? And I, you know, I have to kind of hold them back a little bit and say, okay, wait, you know, this all has to go through the political process. And so what it's going to look like at the end, because it could look at, it could look like tax credits. It could look like grants. It could look like uh, competitiveness centers where they fund one or two centers to actually improve their competitive. You really just don't know. You really don't know. So here's the million dollar question that I know that our listeners are going to really want to know. So let's get it out mm-hmm. of the way now. Mm-hmm. How big, how small, let's put it that way, of an of a organization for a for-profit organization can you be to get a technology or manufacturing grant? Well, 
a technology grant, the SPIRS TTR program that I talked about before, you can be a one person company. Okay. You don't have to be making any money. You can be a true startup. Um, a lot of professors actually apply for that funding. Um, so they aren't even a company. They're just, a, they've developed something, they've invented something and they want funding to do research and development. So for technology, you can be very small. Um, where we tend to see the most success with technology companies is, and there's a little bit of a sweet spot, but they're not true startups. They have either seed funding or they're self-funding. Um, they may have an investor or two, um, but they're able to sustain their expenses. Uh, they just want grant funding to be able to do additional research. So they've been able to fund kind of the fundamental, the very early stage activities. And they're looking for funding to continue and commercialize and that type of thing. Um, so again, these aren't high, high revenue companies, but they're not, they're not the very large technology companies and they're not the one person brand new startup companies. That's where I tend to see, um, where we tend to see a lot more of our fit with the company looking for grants. Um, on the business side, on the manufacturing side, um, you cannot really get, there is not really a startup grant for a non-technology manufacturing company. So, and, and the reason why I tell companies, when, when I have companies that call me and say, hey, I want to start a new uh, cleaning business, or I want to start a new, you know, X type of business, whatever it looks like, they'll say, can I get a grant to start my business? And you really can't. Um, and the reason is that grant funding is much like bank loans. You know, you, you work with lines of credit, so you know that um, banks tend to really want to see Cash flow. Uh, financial stability. You know, they want to yep. see that you have some ability to pay back a loan. Well, the grant funder is exactly the same way. Now, the mm -hmm. SBA provides some low interest loans. They, they provide some loan guarantees. And that's usually where I send brand new startup companies. But, um, you know, you have to be kind of out of the startup phase. You have to have had about three to four years of very solid financials, a marketable product. Um, and then the state grants might come into play for training, for recycling activities, for capital investment, you know, there's there's a lot of different um, outcomes that come that grants will fund in the state, but you do have to be a, a rather established company. Yeah. What do you think your hit ratio is um, as far as you know? Someone you you get you you someone engages you, mm -hmm. and uh, and of course you've done your preliminary work to say yeah I mm -hmm. think this is a, a worthwhile uh, mm -hmm. endeavor, and uh, you know. What percentage of the time do you actually uh, get money for your clients? Well, it really depends on how competitive the the landscape is for uh, the funding. Most state grants, um, I'd say we're probably I don't I don't track it exactly, but I would say we're probably eighty eighty five percent successful yeah, on the state my, grants. On the yeah. federal grants, um, we're probably at that fifty. Uh, you know, and that's, but those are typically very competitive grants like the SBR program. And, and I never, by the way, tell um, a manufacturing or a technology company, if you have the option to do a state grant, I will tell you to do a state grant before you do a federal grant because they're yeah. naturally going to be less competitive. Um, so SBR, for example, only about 35% of first time submissions are successful for SBR or STTR. Um, and I, I'm very open with that with clients. I, you know, I tell them, if you're going to apply for this, I understand, but you've got to understand that the first time through, you're only about 35% successful. Now you can apply more than once for these grants. So, you know, you get the feedback and then you revise your application. You might be successful on the second time and, and your success rate is the highest at the third submission usually. But, um, 
we help clients through that whole process. We'll help them integrate the the, the feedback into their proposals. We'll help them resubmit. Um, the, the only thing that that comes into play is the timing. Um, you know, with federal grants, you might you might apply for a technology grant in June, and you probably won't find out until maybe September that you've gotten the grant, and you can't do anything until you find out you get the grant. So if somebody's in a hurry to do anything, I tell them, listen, you know, this is probably not the way you want to get funding um, because it just takes a long time. I think where it would be really helpful is if someone has an existing business and they want to add some additional services, you know, Mm -hmm. add something else to the existing businesses where, you know, maybe they have some time to wait, you know, for the answers Mm -hmm. and, they have some money, of course, so they're, the cash flow is there. I mean, they're going to like that from mm-hmm. a grant writing perspective, mm-hmm. uh, you know, of uh, the government, I meant, uh, you know, uh, perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's a great way to add additional services and to reduce, uh, you know, your your risk factor. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, absolutely, Agreed? yeah. What, what it, when you notice, what do you think, um, you've been doing this for a while now, what do you think the number one criteria is? Like, I, I'm sure as you're doing this, uh, you can predict, you could say, uh, this one's going to happen. Okay. Or you can say, you know what? This is kind of going to be like a 50 50 chance. You know, what are the, what is the thing that you see that most guarantees that someone probably is going to get what they're looking for? Um, by far a solid project design. So if, for example, we're applying for a piece of recycling equipment, the government doesn't want you or this funder doesn't want you to say, we're going to put in some piece of equipment. We don't know what kind it's going to be. We think we're going to put it in in this time frame. Um, we, we're not really sure that we have a market for it. We're not sure that uh, we're really going to see the, the tonnage that the that the vendor says. They want to see solid, fact-based project design. So you need to know what activities you're going to do specifically, who's going to do them, uh, what's it going to cost to do each of those activities, and what's going to be the outcome. So if you have this recycling project, what a funder wants to see is we are going to produce, we're going to purchase X piece of equipment. We're going to install it in July of 2021. We're going to be operational in October of 2021. Our market will increase by 30%. We know this because we've talked to our our customers. We've talked to people in the market. We know there's a demand for our services. We have these letters of support for what we're doing. Uh, So we have potential interest. And we know that by the time everything's said and done, we will have diverted this amount, this amount of tonnage from the landfills. And here's how we came up with that number. So you really have to be that granular when you're applying for any grant. Uh, because again, uh, if, if you take that very general, broad approach, you're not going to make the funder comfortable that you really put any time or effort or really know what you're doing. Um, the other thing is, if, if, we, if a client can't answer all of the questions clearly, they're probably not going to get the grant. And where I see technology clients getting the most tripped up is on the commercialization end. Uh, they know their technology backwards and forwards. Uh, the, the biggest the biggest issue I see with explaining their technology is a lot of them have their own speak, right? They have their own, they're very high technology, so they'll use acronyms. And, they, and I always tell them, I'm like, dumb it down, okay? I'm an engineer, but I'm a very... Uh, applications-based engineer. So 
talk to me and tell me about your, your technology in my speak, not in your speak. Um, because if you start talking in your speak, you may alienate a reviewer. Um, but technology companies don't, they, where they tend to fall short is in, in really researching their market for what their technology, the market for their technology. And so that is by far the hardest thing for them to, to convey. And, and that, that can really be detrimental to them. You get the, uh, are you allowed to follow up with the person who's going to be reviewing the application, uh, even if they don't call you? Um, you, I always encourage my clients early in the process to vet their idea with the program manager. Um, even if it's a state program, they're very open to uh, looking at ideas and saying if they think it's going to be a good fit. I'll use as an example, I was, uh, I'm working with a manufacturer up in um, North Dakota. And North Dakota has, I'm sorry, South Dakota. South Dakota has a, um, a proof of concept fund. So they can actually do kind of applied research into manufacturing technologies and they will help fund that applied research. So testing of a new product, for example. And so I was a little bit concerned that maybe this client's project wasn't a good fit. So we actually reached out to the the funding program manager and said, is this a good fit? And they basically said, yeah, go ahead and have them submit a one page concept paper We'll take a look at it. We'll give them a good read. That way, um, and it benefits the client in two ways. One, they don't have to spend the money putting together a full proposal. They get the read before they do the proposal. But also, it gets them an idea of how granular they're going to need to be in their project design. Um, even concept papers have a very specific structure. So, um, you know, I would say that's that's probably, you know, that's where it's the hardest for technology companies. So... You've been doing it, like I said, you've been doing this a while. What's your, this is just more of a uh, a national perspective mm-hmm. question, layman perspective, and that is, do you feel like these grant programs work? I do. Um, when they're administered well, they work uh-huh. very well. And, and most of the longstanding state grants work very well. Um, training grants, for example, tens of thousands of employees in every state um, are trained because of manufacturing training grants. Um, and there's training grants in almost every state. And they fund half, up, uh, usually half the cost of training, sometimes up to 100% of the training cost. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's, it's that those types of programs are very effective. If, if the program is designed well, my, my fear with the CARES Act funding is that they were done in such a hurry that, and I, you're starting to see some of this appear in, in Google alerts and, and, you know, some, some places were not managing their money very well. Um, some states, some cities. And I think it's because they didn't take it, take the time to really design the programs well. Um, and that typically happens when programs have been around for a while. So you have to have very measurable outcomes. You have to be able to, and companies have to expect to provide reporting. They have to, companies usually have to self-report. So if you say you were going to invest this much in this equipment, give us invoices to prove you spent that much. If you say you're going to hire three people, give us proof that you hired three people. So it's a very auditable process. Um, when that reporting happens well, and when the programs design well, I think they work very well. Sounds like, like, uh, you know, everyone's impression, a lot of people's impression of the government is that it's inept. Um, but I, you know, my, I, 
I had some experience in my early career working with the government too. And that wasn't my experience, honestly. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of found that, the, especially on the federal level, they're very capable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, has that been your experience? It has. Um, you know, I, I think like any organization, um, mm-hmm. any company, there's there's some people that are really good at what they do. And there's some people that are maybe not so good at what they do. Um, you know, I've worked a lot with the state economic development people. And by and large, I found them to be very good. Um, very responsive, um, very helpful, uh, program managers for grants, extremely helpful. And again, you know, if, if a company has any doubt whether or not they could get a grant, the very first thing they should do is contact the program manager because their role is to help you. And, and they are very helpful a lot of times. So talking, we've been talking about for-profits. Mm-hmm. How did nonprofits get involved now in what we're talking about? So a lot of times, so the nonprofit funding space is, you know, very narrow in a lot of ways because you can only get funding. You can't usually get funding from foundations, for example, for for-profit work. Um, but what what can happen uh, when, you, when a for-profit partners with a nonprofit? I'll use as an example of workforce development nonprofit. Let's just say a workforce development nonprofit wants to apply for funding to provide vocational training for um, a group of industry people. That industry interaction with that nonprofit will strengthen that nonprofit's proposal. In addition, some of the uh, activities that the for-profit companies do can be funded through that nonprofit's proposal. So it widens the funding uh, landscape for that for that manufacturer. Uh, there's a program that's been in, in existence for a long time through the National Science Foundation called the Advanced Technology Education Program. And several uh, DOL, uh, Department of Labor and, and Department of Education programs kind of follow suit on this. They require partnerships. They require partnerships between colleges between uh, workforce development nonprofits, between manufacturing extension partnership centers and manufacturers. And usually the goal of those types of programs are to engage as many what we call wraparound services as possible to ensure that the outcome is achieved. So if you're looking to grow a pipeline of technical, technically skilled people, which is a definite need in manufacturing now and has been for a while, um, you know, what they want is they want that industry perspective. So they want manufacturers to be involved. They want the people that actually recruit and do the training. They want people that can funnel students into the program, which a lot of times these nonprofits can do. Um, they want people that can provide the training, which is a community college's role. Uh, the manufacturing extension partnership can help recruit industry into, um, into the program. But what funders are seeing, and I think this is why you see so many programs that are going to this partnership model, is the impact is incredibly greater when you when you have those strong partnerships. Where that ends up not being the case is where, uh, you know, manufacturers don't tend to go out and seek those partnerships. So usually it has to be on the community college, on the Manufacturing Extension Partnership Center, on the nonprofit side to go out and actually recruit industry um, because that, that is not happening usually the other way around. So give me a real case uh, scenario where a uh, true uh, something that, that really happened where uh, so that our, our listeners can understand the, 
how this whole thing works between a nonprofit and for profit. So an example, give me like, tell me no names, of course, but tell me like, uh, okay, this community college wanted to do this. And so they went out and found a for profit company and then they did, then they went out for this grant together, but give me a real life example. Well, um, one good ongoing example, workforce investment boards, um, workforce investment boards are in every state. They're federally funded and they will partner with manufacturing. So for example, um, and with, with education. So one partnership that I know was, was seeking funding. I don't know if, I believe they did get some state funding for it. Um, but it was a career, um, education center. And the people that partnered on it were uh, local industry in central Illinois and then the uh, central Illinois uh, community college and then the workforce investment board, which recruits uh, people off of unemployment lines, uh, low income, underserved people. So the goal was to take all those people and, and and then also the chamber of commerce was involved. So basically you had kind of this whole um, ecosystem of people that would bring in students and the local high schools were involved. So you would have a high school student, for example, that uh, you would have a high school, for example, that would offer a, a training program in welding. So they would go to that high school, they would get training in welding, then they would go to the career center and they'd actually practice on pieces of equipment in the career center. Um, the workforce investment board could bring in adults, maybe young adults that, that, uh, were struggling and they could also get training through this program. The community college would deliver a lot of the uh, support training programs. And then the chamber of commerce would in- continue to engage industry in the area to hire the, pe- to hire the people from the program, you know, to provide internships and, and apprenticeships and that kind of thing. Um, the other area that I've seen that is, has been heavily funded um, is, is apprenticeships. So there's apprenticeship programs in pretty much every state now and there's apprenticeship funding in almost every state. So a lot of companies, a lot of manufacturing companies hesitate to bring on um, apprentices, but a lot of states actually will pay through the workforce investment boards. They will pay um, up to about six months of an employee's wages, um, at least a portion of those wages. So it makes it a lot less expensive for a manufacturer to do apprenticeships. Um, and that, again, um, the apprenticeship requires um, on-the-job training, which a company provides. It, it requires classroom training, which can be done either at the company or at a community college. Um, and then it requires um, it, it requires um, mentoring that the company has to provide. So oftentimes they have to engage at least a community college partner um, and a nonprofit might be able to help bring in um, bring in workforce for that as well. So one of the things that's on my mind right now is it's, you know, is it, is it, is our government in the United States, a unique, unique style of government where other countries really don't do uh, this as like we do. So does China, like I, my impression of China was, it was that, you know, they, they pick their battle and they put a, heck of a lot of money billions of money into that industry but they did the and i don't know if you know the answer to this question but do uh, countries like china spread money out you know like this um i i kind of see it from the outside i don't i don't do any real international work but i can tell you that um just from what i've seen and in 
on the internet, um, there are significant funding programs in other countries. In Europe, mm -hmm. for example, um, Germany has long funded apprenticeships. That's That's been their thing for centuries. Yeah. Um, and they've always supported that at a government level. Um, but there are there's programs in Australia, there's programs in, in a lot of different countries, a lot of different countries. The way each country chooses to incentivize may be a little bit different. So whereas I think the Chinese government, at least my perception is the Chinese government just directly subsidizes manufacturers where on this in the United States, it's more of a, a lot of times a competitive process. It's more of a um, more of a competition than maybe some other countries. But I do think some European countries follow that competition mindset. So they might have a, a grant program in India, for example, that only, you know, only the companies that really show that they're going to do the work would get the money. Um, I, I've just been really on the outside of it, but that's at least what I've perceived. Yeah, it's interesting. Very interesting. So, it is. It is. So you listen, I, I like this stuff too. When I, I, I started off my career for the first uh, eight and a half year, eight and a half years, uh, this is over 20, uh, this is over 30 years ago. I worked for Xerox and um, I was, I had a three year stint there uh, in one position where I was working with, with state and federal government winning bids. And, mm -hmm. and I was really good at it. I, I really mm -hmm. was to be honest with you. Um, so uh, it's a long time ago, but I, I, and I enjoyed it too, mm -hmm. uh, you know, but um, so, so if you're a listener right now and you're in technology or you're in manufacturing, how do you know that, Hey, I have something here that I think it could get, I could get grant money for. How do you kind of know? Like if you're going to, let's say you're building CRM software and you say, you know what? I, I think I want to go into building accounting software. I wonder if there's a grant for that. You know, mm -hmm. I, you know that's that's a really weird example, and I did pick that one on purpose. Um, but how do you know? So, on the software side, that's that's kind of unusual. Um, there there isn't a lot of money for software development unless it's heavy R and D, kind of like the SBIR type stuff. Yeah. Um, but on the manufacturing side and the technology side, so the indicators are a little different. Manufacturing, it's very much economic development objectives. Job creation, are they going to be investing in, in capital equipment? Are they going to be adding jobs? Are they going to be retaining jobs? Um, are they going to be purchasing the equipment to recycle, to produce something out of recycled material? In a lot of cases with states, you can get funding for that. Um, clean energy tends to be a really big topic in some states. So if you're if you're doing a clean energy related product or a clean energy related, um, like you were talking about adding markets. So say you're a um, you're a manufacturer of some kind of solar panels and you decide you want to do geothermal or something like that. Um, if they're a rural community, USDA has a couple of business programs for rural communities. Um, so that's also possibly an indicator. But in general, it's job creation, capital investment, facility investment. If they're looking at building a new facility, uh, there's generally grants and tax incentives associated with those types wow. of things. What a great country. I'll tell you. <laughs> I really, and I, it's unusual for me to come way out and say something like that. But, you know, we're, we're so much more sophisticated than people give us credit sure. for. And, you know, sure. and I mean, our own citizens. And uh it's cool stuff. I mean, trying to help people get a job and, and, and helping them provide for their families and, mm -hmm. 
making them happy. It's, uh, it's amazing. And it's good stuff. Well, and you know, the reason why I started my business, Stephen, and, and this is, I worked in manufacturing for a really long time. And what I came to realize is that the key to American prosperity is in manufacturing. Uh, so when our, our goal at Lakeview Consulting is to increase the prosperity of American current and future workers, because if we can, if we can get a grant for a company for some new machinery, they're going to hire people. And if they hire people, the economy as a whole gets better. There's a direct correlation. So, um, you know, I, I got a grant one time for an employer of mine, actually, and they ended up hiring 13 people. They invested uh, $3 million in equipment. We grew our sales astronomically. You know, there's nothing better than that. And, yeah. you know, I, I often have to uh, explain that to people that, you know, a lot of grant writers work in the nonprofit sector and they're like, well, you know, we do a lot of good. You know, we do a lot of good. And I, I don't disagree with that. Nonprofits do wonderful work in this United States. And there's a lot to do wonderful work in the manufacturing community. But, um, you know, I tell people I'm like, I, I help create jobs, every, you know, every day. I help train yeah. people every day. And it's a great amount of satisfaction. And you're right. It's it's a wonderful con- con- a country. And it's supported by manufacturing. Yeah. You know, I, I used to say this statistic uh, several years ago, uh, uh, and you know, I wonder if it's still true. It's something that I, I think I had read. There, there, there is more manufacturing done in the United States today than there ever was. The issue that you have is that the manufacturing that is being done is high technology manufacturing where it doesn't mm-hmm. require as many people. Mm-hmm. If it's going to be low tech manufacturing, then it's going to be shipped out all outside the United States. And, um, but there are, you know, tons, there's a 60 minutes episode, which showed, you know, that how many manufacturing jobs there are in the United States. It's just that the people who are, who have to do those jobs, it requires uh, a lot of training and, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. very, it's not, uh, you know, I used to work on the assembly line for General Motors when I was 19 Mm -hmm. and -hmm. it's not, you know, putting, uh, you know, a little bolt on a, uh, 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 you know, the, something to screw into the wall of the inside of your car. You know, this mm-hmm. is, we're talking about, you really got to know mathematics and you got to know some, you know, you got to be pretty talented. And I, I mm-hmm. is that still, is that still true that the manufacturing in the United States is, is, is more than it ever was? Oh, I, I don't doubt that at all. Um, mm-hmm. I can also tell you that one of the biggest misnomers in manufacturing is that the more automation you have, the less people you need. That isn't necessarily true. Oh, cool. um, I believe that what's what the transition the transition that's happening is manufacturing workers are becoming more value added. They they can't just be somebody that clocks in, looks at a few pieces of of product, and then walks out the door. You have to be able to scrutinize the product. You have to be the, able to do the work the automation can't do because no matter yeah. what, automation still isn't that smart. It can yeah. tell you that based on these parameters that were put in, this product is good or bad. That's where the value add comes in. That's where a little bit more technical skill comes in. But I can also tell you that that manufacturing companies, by and large, when they're looking for workers, and a lot of them are working looking for workers right now, they want somebody that's going to show up on time, dressed appropriately, and willing to work. And everything yeah. else, they'll train them to do. And they have ways to yeah. train them. They can be they can be internally trained. They can have partnerships with 
colleges, but yes, I can tell you that it requires a little bit more skill, but I can also tell you that a lot of companies are, are willing to train people on that skill as long as they have those soft skills, um, you know. Yeah, those I are mean, the, the, lower, the lower income jobs, the biggest issue they have is alcoholism and drugs. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the mm-hmm. manufacturers really, not manufacturers, but the companies really struggle with that. Mm-hmm. I know the trucking industry really gets yep. affected yep. by that. Yep. They can't find yep. workers because they can't pass the drug tests. And Exactly. And, and, uh, and manufacturing you know. suffers from that as well. Um, you know, yeah. it's just, it's, it's a problem. It's, it's, you know, endemic in a lot of communities. It's, it's just something that people have to deal with. And that's, you know, that's a whole social service issue. You know, the, the fact is, I truly believe there are more workers out there for manufacturing than, than is publicized. Um, I believe there's, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of high school students that will make very good manufacturing workers. Uh, but it takes a change in attitude in the educational system. Quite honestly, um, it takes a change in, it, it takes an understanding that an acceptable outcome from a high school education is going into the workplace because those kids can earn a whole lot more money working in manufacturing than that. You worked on GM assembly line. They don't make peanuts there. Um, you know, no. so they'll make, make a 15, lot more money right 15, out of high school. Yep. Yeah. I made $15 an hour, 33 years ago, uh, whatever it was, yep. 30, yep. 36 years ago. So, you know, uh, that was great money. You know, I worked, yeah. I worked a one to wait, what was it? 11 to six shift at night in the in the morning 11 in the mm-hmm. morning 11 at p.m. At to 6 yeah. a.m. and yeah. i would i would get off work i would go to the beach and then i go and then i would go <laughs> then i would go home and sleep and then go back to work again so it was a good yeah. job yeah. yeah yeah well that's all the time we have today like i, I thought it was going to be an interesting topic and it was a very interesting topic and i would like to thank so very much uh, Mickey Vanderloo from Lakeview uh, Consulting for coming on today's podcast. If you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend and also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. If you like today's podcast, please give us a review on your podcasting app to help us get us the word out. Our podcast has become very, very popular. I'm very uh, happy with that. And, uh, and I think if you are running a business or if you're running a nonprofit, uh, these are really good things to have. Um, uh, the, 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 you know, listening to these topics. Um, if you're looking for a line of credit for your business or your nonprofit, please call us at 862-207-4118 or visit our website at fscreditline.com. Uh, Mickey, if someone wants to get in touch with you, how would they go about doing that? You can either contact me through my website, lakeviewconsultingalloneword.net. Or you can reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm I'm a pretty regular poster and uh, and uh, attendee in LinkedIn. So, yep, and it's spelled M I C K I Vanderloo V A N D E R L O O and no so, R no R M I C K I V A N D E L O O. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, that's I, okay. I Just search work. for me on uh, LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, to all of our listeners or business listeners, I tweet daily, um, about business, uh, ideas, uh, at S Halasnik, which is my name, S Halasnik, S H A L A S N I K. And for all of you, I just want to thank you for listening today. Just remember there's money out there. 
it, it, there's, it, you know, the statistics are high as, as, as it was, was, was as we just presented today. Uh, I have a friend who always goes out and gets grants for the businesses that he has started and is, and is involved with, and he always gets the money that he's looking for. So it's a real skill. It's out there for you. And, uh, you know, think about it and, uh, you know, talk to Lakeview Consulting if you're uh, interested. Everybody have a great day.